Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right. What is up, everybody? Welcome into the Denver Sports Podcast presented by Breckenridge Brewery, where you can get the Avalanche Amber, the unofficial beer of autumn in Colorado, but also unofficial beer of every day that feels like autumn. Ooh. The other day when it snowed, I drank an Avalanche Amber because it felt like fall. What's a windy day beer from Breckenridge? Ooh, that's true. What is a windy? I feel like this is an insult. What's the worst beer to drink? That's <laughs> no, it's just like, I, I don't want to go outside today, but I want to drink beer. Nobody likes wind. Oh, except windsurfers, I've learned. Is that what it is? Yeah, but even the there, wind. like, I feel like the ocean provides a natural amount of wind. Yeah. You don't need an extra windy day. I feel like that would be a disaster. Well, I know this because uh, there's no point in getting into windsurfing. <laughs> <laughs> AJ almost waded into this. He's like, nope, I'm out. I'm out. I'm staying away from it. Anyway, we're presented by Breckenridge Brewery. We got a fun show for you today. We're going to talk about Nikola Jokic and the pressure facing him. What appropriate amount of pressure and maybe some inappropriate amounts of pressure how much pressure should he have and how can his legacy swing we're also going to get an update on the colorado avalanche here just a week and a half away from their playoffs beginning and talk about what pressure they're feeling going in as they're into their title defense and then later in the show the best part of the show we're going to look back at all the athletes that have had the most pressure going into a postseason the biggest legacy swings based on an individual game or postseason run. To help me do that, though, the man that never stops podcasting, podcasts in his sleep. He podcasts when he wakes up. He podcasts for lunch. It's Ryan Konigsberg. These mics are actually just grafted to my body. <laughs> do you like how we all wore black today? Look at us. If you ever wear black, you're going to match me. <laughs> okay, well, there you go. It's a pretty good chance it's true for me, too. <laughs> well, there you go. I guess I just was fitting in. Uh, there he is, over on the edge, covering the avalanche for us, AJ Hayfley. What up, dog? What up, dog? Um, so let's talk about the Denver Nuggets here, who last night dropped a meaningless game ahead of tonight's equally as meaningless game. Is it meaningless until they clinch? <laughs> we can talk about that very thing here in a second. Maybe it's okay. not. I don't know if the Nuggets want to clinch. That's the thing. They're the one seed in the Western Conference, the third, third best record overall in the NBA currently. Um, they're likely to finish one, although there is a chance that they just fumble this down the ed- down the stretch. They punted on last night's game, effectively not playing Nikola Jokic. Punting on tonight's game, not playing any of their starters. Maybe Aaron Gordon for some reason, which I don't understand. But they've had a very good year. Is so good. Maximum Mr. Nugget energy being the only starter to play. <laughs> I'm not leaving my boys out there. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when he's probably the guy that most needs the rest at the moment. Yeah. But he's like, I'll do it. I got to play this meaningless <laughs> game. But he'll do it. Um, 
But here's the thing. Nikola Jokic currently on DraftKings Sportsbook is plus 110. I actually haven't looked this morning. Has it changed? It's moved, yeah. What is it? Uh, last I saw, he was plus 135, oh, and Embiid no. had moved to minus 125. All right. That was a little overcorrection after the ESPN straw poll. But nonetheless, Jokic is in the running for an MVP. I don't think he's going to win it this year. I think he actively doesn't want to. He doesn't want to, and I think people actively don't want to give it to him. But regardless, he's a two-time NBA MVP with a third one that could go to him that he's at least in the running for, which means you're considered the best player in the NBA or in the conversation for best player. A lot of people push back on that. Jokic has only made it to the Western Conference Finals one time. He's never made it to an NBA Finals. He's 27 years old. That feels like there's a lot of pressure on him now to say, hey, if you're as good as you say you are, then you should at some point lead your team to a championship or at least a Finals or at the very least a competitive Western Conference Finals. So let me start with this, AJ. How much pressure when you read the, the, the clippings, you see the, the tweets, you see all this stuff, how much pressure do you think he is facing going into this before we get to what's appropriate? I, I almost think it's not very much mm. because he's a Denver Nugget and because of the way that that franchise is viewed in the NBA, uh, that it's it's almost not taken seriously. Interesting. Because he's... He's the oddball, goofy MVP playing for a franchise that's never won anything that people don't generally care about. It almost feels like expectations for the franchise and expectations for the Jokic get split. Is that true, though, of all franchises that have never won? Or is it Denver specific because it's midsize? I, I mean, I just think the Nuggets. The Nuggets have one of those histories. Okay, right where the Nuggets they've been they've been around. They've been a professional franchise for fifty years. Yeah, and they've made a couple of conference finals along the way, and but that's I, like their glory days. I do think if it were another team that had never won before, it would be a similar similar thing. Well, and I don't because I mean we saw we saw it with Giannis a few years ago before he won. With the Bucks, right? right? Yeah, the Bucks are like Denver for sure. And it was it was kind of similar where it's part of it, but it was more like, boy, it would be really great if he won one. Not like not like it was. I I just don't feel like it was taking a ton away from his legacy. And now that he has one, it's not adding that much to it. I'd have to say that there is, I think, more pressure than that. I think you're right about your point. But because of this whole MVP conversation where everyone is looking to detract from Jokic in any way that they can, he does face a lot of pressure from a narrative standpoint. Whereas right. if they don't get it done this year, and they don't have to win it, but if they don't make a deep run this year, then people are going to say, Jokic, all he is is advanced analytics. He can't get it done in the playoffs. He's a regular season superstar, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, wouldn't that be fair i i do think there's a lot of that that is fair in terms of if you're as great of a player if you're a two-time mvp odds are you're going to drag a team pretty far you're going to win a series nobody thought you were supposed to or one that you you know took an amazing run for him to get to past that one and with yoke there's been some great series i mean he's had some incredible series so yeah. far but to get there now where, where you're the one seed and, and things have kind of lined up and that there's no juggernaut in the NBA this year, I do feel like there is a lot of appropriateness to that pressure that, hey, something should happen yeah. this year. At yeah. the same like, time... Isn't this, isn't this like the door being open that you want as as a Nuggets franchise? You don't have a juggernaut to go through. You're not going right. through, you know, like like the, the mellow Chauncey Nuggets in, in 09 had to go through Kobe's Lakers. Right. You know, like there was, well, there was a bronze Lakers. There's, there was a final boss that you knew was standing in your way at right. the start of that run. And 
the question is, is can Jokic be the final boss? Can but can I say this? Is there a chance we get to a Western Conference Finals that features the Warriors and it'll fill that? Even though they haven't been that so far. Yes. Yeah. And isn't there a, a chance that... A thousand percent, yes. And isn't there a chance that you'll get into a series with the Lakers? Maybe it's the first round where it's LeBron's healthy, AD's healthy. They're an eight seed, but that's still like an obstacle. Like, hey, you still had to beat LeBron, which almost nobody ever does. Well, and, and to... But, uh, I would say the the counterpoint to that is if what if what if they do make a deep run a conference final run yeah but their first round you know they beat the Pelicans well and then the okay. second round the second round they beat like a a Paul Georgeless Clippers right you know and then there's little asterisk here and there where again because people are actively looking to take credit away from him they're gonna nitpick whatever and then if they get to a conference final even if the thing goes seven games and they lose in seven to to, to to say the Suns right, yeah, like don't you you found your final boss I and feel, Jokic couldn't get it done. Yeah, I feel like in that scenario you just laid out, that's almost the par where both sides of the argument, pro and con, are going to get to eat because there'll be enough ambiguity to right. say. Yeah. Be like if that ball didn't tip off Aaron Gordon's fingertip in Game <laughs> Seven, he'd be playing for the finals right now, which will be both true and unsatisfying. But yeah, yeah. at the same time though, I don't think the current uh, 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 criticism of Jokic playoff success is fair no. because if if that were to happen this year, people will say he's never gotten anything done in the playoffs, and they'll use this large sample size. But every year has a story, and people right. are letting go of that story. Two years in a row, Jokic has dragged the team further than they were right. supposed to go. It's just not as far as people want. You know, it's not Elway dragging te teams to the Super Bowls in the '80s. It's a little bit different than that, but like. People forget that they beat Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum, right. a, a healthy Blazers team, with I mean, they Faku ended a, a Blazers and Shaq era. Harrison. Yeah. yeah, they ended that era. And by it, they ended a Utah era too. It lingered, it festered, yeah. like yeah. It, it had an open wound for like an extra year. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's like getting shot in the stomach. It was a yeah. slow. They death. bled out. Yeah, but it was that was that was it. That I was think, the shot that did it. I think someone said if you bet a hundred dollars on every Jokic playoff series. Uh, since he started, you'd be up. You'd be at like three thousand dollars. Wow! So like, and then it was like that's you'd a be, great stat. You'd man. be down like fifteen hundred if you find bet out on what Embiid. this is for me because that's right, a right, great. Right. I need that one in my life. I would also say that when you're talking about using Jokic's playoff history as it is today, uh, it's it's very very similar to what the Avs did last year, where everybody was like, "Oh, they choke. They can't get out of the second round." Right, right. And you were you, when you actually went back in time. And you looked at it, and it was like they were an eighth seed, right? Who had no business. First year, you got to just get. You got to yeah. Go the through, first that first year, licks. the first year they were the eighth seed that right. nobody picked to beat Calgary. Right. They smoked Calgary. They get into a seven game series with San Jose. The second year, Michael Hutchinson is their netminder and is five minutes from bringing them back from a three one series deficit. Right. In a game seven, uh, and then the one year where you can be like, yes. They fell apart. Right, right. Against Vegas, who also, by the way, tied them for the president's trophy that year. So it was like no slouch there. Right. But using that history against the Avs the last couple of years has been really annoying. Because when you look at it, it was like, come on with some of this. And it's the same thing with Jokic, where you're like, Jamal gets hurt. And then, obviously, all the injury, the injury issues that they had last year. It was... Ugh. Like, yeah. what did you what did you want him to do? Right. The, 
You know, you, we watch. Honestly, people. Here's the thing: we watched Steph Curry have like an iconic moment in a play-in game. Right, right, right. And right. it was Steph Curry. Yeah, they nobody, also nobody the minded yeah. that. But here's the thing about it: I think what I don't like is people try to go back and rewrite the history on Jokic or diminish it. Like what happened in the past wasn't impressive because it was the bubble or because they mm-hmm. got swept by the Suns or whatever. When it's like, no, what happened in the past was awesome and very impressive, and it required great games where he was at his best. When his back is against the wall. Yoke, even though he's only been in the playoffs four years, has been in the elimination games like 14 times. Like he's yeah. faced a lot of elimination and he's always been at his absolute apex during those games. So I hate the rewriting history, but what's fair is the future stakes. To me, that part is fair. Just don't go backwards to rewrite. You can project forwards and say, do you have the number? Yes. Uh, if you bet $1,000 on every Jokic playoff series, you'd be up $6,321. The other side of it is if you bet $1,000 on every Embiid playoff series, you'd be down $3,900. I feel like that's a meaningful thing. Here. That is. Well, and let's be real here. Embiid's played with other guys that you would consider a superstar or a before he completely fell apart, Ben Simmons. Yeah. Right, right, right. And Jimmy, Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler. Was yeah, a, like a, there the were, like Harden. he has always had, like, where's the other all-star? His, his best, his best sidekick well, for, for Jokic, like, his best sidekick is Jamal Murray, who is a Good player, right? Nobody's taking him over James Harden, though. But here's the bigger the thing: thing. the really bigger quick, thing just to the me, Nuggets have been dogs in four out of eight playoff series that Jokic has played in. It's wild. That's wild. Here's the thing: the other piece of that, though, because when I always can compare the Embiid Jokic parks, a lot of it comes down to defense. Pick and roll is the thing that in the NBA spread pick and roll is the hardest thing for a big, any big, no matter how good you are. Yoke's worse than most, but all bigs are below the threshold. This is my belief. There's players like Bam Adebayo, but they're not true bigs. They're 6'9". They're, yeah. they're actually more power forwards traditionally. But my point is, Jokic has gone up against Steph Curry, Damian Lillard twice, Donovan Mitchell, Devin Booker, yeah. Chris Paul. That's been the playoff season. That's probably the five best pick-and-roll, pull-up, three-point shooters, which is point. the single most difficult thing to guard. You go and look at Philadelphia in, in the Embiid era, the toughest one he's had to guard, I think, is Trey Young, who they lost to, by the way. <laughs> And Bradley Beal and Spencer Dinwiddie. I think that's the three best wow. pick and rolls. Those guys are okay. Trey Young is good. Yeah. But that is not Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, Devin Booker, Chris Paul. Like it's a different. It's a different replica. Steph and Dame are probably two of the best of all time at that. At all time. And I mean, look, Booker and Chris Paul are also pretty freaking good at that specific skill. Nonetheless, I don't want to make this the Embiid thing. I want to just talk about pressure and. Um, Here's what's crazy about the pressure on Jokic specifically. One, it va- doesn't just validate him. It validates the Nuggets' plans. And when Jamal Murray went down, this playoffs counts for three. It doesn't count for one. It yeah. counts for the previous three years. Whereas if Denver is to like w- go to the Western Conference Finals this year, you'd be, you can make a realistic case and say, man, how many Western Conference Finals would the team have gone to if they right, would have had Murray? Right. Whereas if they would have lost in the first round, it'd be a hard thing to say, man, yeah, but last year or two years ago they were – on pace to go to the Western Conference final. Like, it almost swings three years all in one. That's a great point. It does, yeah. It's like when you're like betting on golf and you keep tying holes and you're just like, keep putting it into the pot. Right, right, right. right. And so two years have been put into the pot for this one. It's 100%. It. And then lastly, for the Jokic specifically, he's a two-time MVP. He's almost averaging a triple-double. It's going gonna, gonna, gonna to suck that we're going to have to always say almost averaged a triple-double. Yeah, he needs like 16. He needs like a game with 16 assists. Well, he, if he did that, then he would be averaging it and then he would just need 10. I think he 
Now that he's missed two, he's gonna need like twelve a game to finish. I'm not holding my breath. I have a feeling that this, and I think Yoke almost wants to do this because of the stat batting content. There'd just be something like, how it. many guys would have been within six assists and gun for it? Not me. I didn't care. Right. And I, I, he won't say this, but that'll be the the idea. But here's the thing: it doesn't matter. It, statistically, one of the best players ever. Advanced stats, the best player ever. Probably a little inflated, but whatever. You win a championship. All of a sudden, it's like, well, let's put his resume up against these all-time greats. How many players have two MVPs and a championship? That list is really small. So is he? <laughs> He'd probably have a finals, a finals MVP. MVP. And a finals MVP. Yeah, if, like, they were, if they were to get to that point, like yeah. triple-double average. Like, you start to put the accolades up, and you'll be like, wow, this guy has a better resume. Whether you want to say he's better, it has a better resume than a lot of Hall of Fame, like top-tier Hall of Fame players. Whereas if you lose, like wouldn't that wouldn't that move him past a guy like Charles Barkley like immediately? Again, yes. again, I, I'm not. I don't want to put the cart before the horse here and say it, but I'm saying those are the type of conversations that you can have <clears throat> and not feel crazy because you'll have the hardware to match up with all yeah. of the accolades and statistics. On the other end, if you lose in a first round or a second round, even and it's not competitive, it's one you walk away going they lost, but they were not as good as the top teams of this year. It almost swings the other way to where it diminishes some of the accolades in, in some way. I don't think it should, but I do think you'll have a harder time arguing things when you say, well, those two MVPs, but eh, it didn't really get close to winning a title, you know, this or that. So that's why I say the pressure is so high because the narrative swing. I don't know if he feels it. I'm just saying that narrative swing is about as big as I've seen from a player outside of LeBron in the NBA, outside of LeBron James in 2011, 2012. Yeah. I, I also think the reason why I just like I get what you're saying, but why I'm kind of like I just don't know that it matters is because I don't think he cares about he it. He doesn't. Enough. I don't. Well, and when you talk when you talk about like the pressure, like it's usually like you look at Nathan McKinnon last year. He felt it. Right. He felt it every day. He walked with it. It 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 almost looked like you could just see it walking around it like his shadow. Right. Like it went with him everywhere. And I don't know that Jokic is wired in that like. I think Jokic wants to win because he wants to win. And that's just like, it's it's like the thing he's there to do. I'm there to play great basketball. I'm there to win. I'm there to do whatever. I, I wonder about the way that he feels that pressure and the way that he carries it with him. And it's it's almost like he's just not worried about all this other stuff as much. He doesn't care about his legacy. He doesn't care. You know, he doesn't care about this. He cares about winning. I think he, he does care about winning. And, and that's, well, and that, that's, it, he's not worried about, what Nick Wright has to say on whatever show he's on. Yeah, but I don't. I, but here's I, the I thing, though. Don't. Here's where I disagree with you because I'm with you on the legacy part, and I do think that adds an extra burden to players. So he is short of that, but I do think he feels the responsibility to the team. He's the one that gets all the credit for all the big <coughs> things. He gets the big contract. He gets all this stuff he wants and doesn't want. But he also, I think, really genuinely feels a responsibility. And when we had Vlaco on the show, he talked about it. Like Yoke's drowning in stress because of how much is like projected onto him the other thing about yoke where it's unique we exist in an era now where i think athletes get things projected onto them politically mm -hmm. and this or that and Jokic is an uh unaccepting but forced symbol of things he has no association with or at least that he doesn't want he's a symbol of analytics he doesn't care about analytics but he's a symbol for him to lose would be a knock on the analytics, the analytics or advanced stats. if he were to lose he's a symbol of european players he didn't ask for that. He doesn't identify with Germans and Italians. He's a Serbian guy, but he is representative of all European players, representative of white 
players. Mm -hmm. He's representative of Denver in a lot of ways. He's representative of nice guys. He's representative of passing players as opposed to scoring players. So I say that, and I think... Skill guys over athleticism guys. All of that stuff is a thing that he is not wanting, but is inevitably taking on, and I just think he feels it. That's why I think there's a, a special amount of pressure on him. Yeah, I mean, it's... I've noticed it this year more than any other year that he hears things. Yeah. Um, and it's it's kind of odd, like, because I've, I've always believed, like, Jokic would never hear what Kendrick Perkins has to say. And he this mentioned year, it this he year. He admitted yep. that he heard what he, Kendrick Perkins had to say. I think he regrets that, by the way. That shows you how much he it got to him, though, that he, like... You know when something bothers you, you don't say anything, all of a sudden it slips out, and it's like, oh... Mm-hmm. I feel like that was Yoke, where it was like... You're commenting on an ESPN story? I've never seen this yeah. before. And then he immediately was like, what did I slip that slip out? What bums me out is I think that really affected him, especially the race one, um, because he was then aligned on a side of a thing that he doesn't want to be on, you know, and we saw all the weird shit that happened after that. And I think that actually had an impact on him. And I hope that, you know, that goes away and he can kind of shake that. Um, but I think because... Of that, I think he does feel the pressure. And I think that right. while right. he's not worried about his legacy, I think he does want to prove people wrong. I think that inherently as humans, we want to prove people wrong that don't believe in us, you know, maybe more than any other like desire. Oh, I have so much pressure on me. I think I have more pressure than Jokic at the moment. <laughs> like My you, reputation is on the line here. That's how I felt last year. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true, but like you just want to prove people wrong. And so I think that he. He has a lot of pressure. I think that he feels it. And I think, I think that we are going to see a playoff joker like we've never seen before. Yeah. Because every year he he gets better in the regular season and then he takes it up to another level in the playoffs. And then he gets he was better last year in the regular season, and then he got even better in the playoffs. Obviously, they had no shot. Um this year, he's taken his game to a new level. And the more I watch it, the more I'm like, we have not even had a glimpse of playoff Joker, and he is averaging a triple-double. Like, I think there's a decent chance he averages a 30-point triple-double <laughs> in the playoffs. I agree with this take. I think the we're in for Jokic laying waste to the postseason. There are little I think it's going to be like an all-time heater where you're like, say something. Like, whatever, whatever the team does, whatever happens, right? It's going to be like, there's no doubt that he did what he could. It's honestly what's on his shoulders. I am of the opinion that Jokic is that player. So for him not to do it, like there would be a disconnect there. I think he's that talented enough, and I do think he's motivated enough. And I've also, you know what? We're only 10 days away. Playoffs start in less than like like 17 days, like a week after that. So we'll find out here very quickly. But I tend to agree that this is Jokic has an anger in him that he hasn't had lately because of these things have just built up. And he's like, what are we talking about? And you mentioned the race thing. I actually think the stat padding <laughs> was was a bigger deal to him. Oh, if you remember in the bubble was during the pandemic and during a lot of the riots and a lot of the police brutality protests and different things. And he was asked a lot about it. And, he, you know, he's like, guys, I'm European. I don't have the American history to me, which is right. fair. Right. He's like, we have our own politics and, and histories and, and, and different things to us over in Serbia. And he mostly abstained from that. And I understand why. But stat padding, I think if you were to ask Jokic, What's the thing with your basketball that you're most proud of? It'd be that I play the right way. I play yes. a team game. I do, that I have this honest, uh, honestness about me for how I approach. And I think the stat padding 
calls is a, that into question. It calls that into question. The thing that he's most core value is, and I think that's why that one specifically probably pissed him off. I mean, there's no coincidence that his assist numbers have gone down since that came out. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, people say that. They went on that losing streak. Jokic had two 30-point triple-doubles. He was still balling. Yes. The but team had fallen off. He there, was. He was playing terrible defense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I just think that he's, like, you know, late in the game. He's not, like, seeking out a backdoor cut as much. Now you're know. calling him into question. No, I'm not calling. <laughs> I'm just saying, AJ. Like, he he love he loves passing the ball. Yeah. He said it before, like an assist makes two people happy, makes me. Uh-oh. And so like I think late in games he just loves to get, you know, get Aaron Gordon a reverse dunk and things like that. And I ever since that happened, I haven't seen him do that. Yeah. All right, let's take a break. On the other side, we'll find out what pressure there is for a team after they win a title and then have a somewhat underwhelming regular season. We'll get to all of that. I'm of course talking about the abs, but first, RK, what can you tell me about illegal Pete? Oh, man, Illegal Pete's. So it's funny about Illegal Pete's is we've been having a lot of guests on the Buff Show lately. And I used to ask, like, oh, are you an Illegal Pete's guy? And the answer was always yes. So I just stopped asking that. Now, really? whenever we have a guest, I just say, what's your order at Illegal Pete's? Because everyone nice. has their order at Illegal Pete's. Uh, and for me, currently, it's the reverse nachos. D-Line actually put me onto the reverse nachos. This is gaming the system. It is. And I actually got called out by it once. By a person working at Illegal Pete's. Tell him, hey, man, I'm ordering off the menu. <laughs> exactly. And he was like, no, I'm not hating on it. I'm just saying this is gaming the system. Yes, and it, it is. is. You get a giant burrito bowl with, like, double queso. That's all it is. <laughs> for free, basically. Yeah, for the for it's the cost of nacho. So get over to Illegal Pete's. Check them out. Uh, <laughs> they also have a whole new line of margaritas, which absolutely slap. Also, Shady Rays. Shady Rays. Ooh, I haven't done this one in a minute. Uh, oh, I no. mean, it's heating up, right? It is heating it's up. It's almost shade season. You actually need your shades extra no, today. it's shade season. Already. Oh, it is? Yeah, it is shade season. Interesting. I'm telling you, driving in the other day, I was dying. Okay. So sunny out. Well, you especially need your shady rays today because not only do they protect you from the sun, but they protect you from the particles of dust that <laughs> are just whipping around Denver today. What did, we, did we say? Did we have a haboob today? Ooh. Have you heard that term? A haboob? No. The haboob. Look it up. You can pull this up on, uh, yeah, I'm telling you, a haboob is like a It's a windstorm. It's like a slow dust where the dust comes in. Okay, yes. we have Google a, a haboob and pull it up on the screen here. I'm teaching the people some terms today. <laughs> well, if you're dealing with a haboob, uh, make sure you get your shady rays because they'll protect your eyes not only from dangerous dust particles, but also from dangerous UV rays. Uh, they're polarized. You can get a great deal on them when you use the code DNVR over at Shady Rays. We all have them here. We all love them. It's an unbelievable deal, by the way. 50% off. That's a great one. A two for one. What do you got over there? Do you have it? Look at this. Pull up a fixture. Look at that. You oh, guys. So that's like a that's like a legitimate dust storm. It's like a wall of dust. And when I say wall, it goes up to the clouds. You guys have never seen one of these? This, a haboop? We I, have I seen I saw this. this in Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what it's like. That Look was a these. really big deal in that movie. That, I think they're big in Arizona. Yeah, that seems terrible. Also needs a scarier name than haboob. Haboob <laughs> is the weakest sounding name. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, run from the hood. They should just call it a Fury Road. Yeah, it should be like a Doom Cloud. Yeah, Doom Doom Cloud. cloud. That sounds real. Look at how big it is. Engulfs a whole city. That is what it felt like today, though. It did feel that way. You could hear it on our Broncos podcast. Like, people are like, what is going on back there? It's just the wind. Yeah, it really was. Um, All right, AJ. What up? You guys are so relaxed. 
<laughs> you guys are so relaxed because every time I turn on, here's how here's how the season has gone. I'll check in maybe every two weeks. I'll somebody will be around and be like, "Hey man, Avs, are we worried?" And they're like, "No, nah, they just got to win on Saturday. Saturday comes around, seven zero, they lose." Like, you guys worried? Nah. <laughs> Wait a second. So I'm guessing the pressure, you would say, is quite low on the Avs right now. It's hard to hold a, a team to a certain standard when that team hasn't played any games together. Mm. You know, like the team the team that I, I've said this a few times, but the the team that the Cronkies paid for this year has played zero minutes together. You know, yeah. they, they haven't had their captain for one game all year. Um as of whenever they clinch their postseason spot, they will be one of like something like eight teams in the last 20 years to have 400 man games lost and make the postseason. Wow. So it, it really drives home <clears throat> the challenges that they've faced, but it also should drive home. <laughs> it, sh it should also really drive home like how special the talent is at the top of the Avalanche roster. That they're just that, that good. That, that you have 400 man games lost and you look at the top leaders in scoring and Miko Rantanen could be on his way to a 50 goal season. Me, uh, Nathan McKinnon is five points shy of a, of a hundred. Uh, Kale McCarr is going to like backdoor his way into Norris votes at the very end of the year. And it's just like, Oh yeah, by the way, they just have three of the 15 best players on their roster. And as much as, as the NHL is a, you need these guys to be successful. Like, um, you know, and, and you need depth to get you to a certain area. You need all this help, you know, 18, 18 skaters and blah, 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 blah. If you've got a lead talent, you just have a big advantage. And that's where the abs have been this year. What do you see pressure wise from them as a non abs guy? You know, what's funny is they really felt the pressure last year. I mean, as much as I think you can and still succeed. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was in everything that they did. Every practice, every skate, every morning, everything every presser, Nathan, every, every inch of that roster felt that pressure. Nathan McKinnon said that before game five at home in the Stanley Cup, guys were throwing up because they were, it was so intense and they felt like they were so close. And so when you've felt the pressure at the highest of high levels and overcome it, I almost worry that they have too little pressure on wow. them. Wow. Because I just don't think... I like that. Like, you can't pressure them anymore. They can't feel scared and I think it could end up becoming a weapon for them in the playoffs. But I almost, you know, Von Miller, the year after the Broncos won the Super Bowl, said it's impossible to not get to the mountaintop and take a, a breath of fresh air. And he essentially was saying, like, I didn't like I didn't work as hard this offseason or I didn't mm. like it's just impossible. You know, I, I didn't have the same feeling in me of I have to get there. So I don't think you can blame the abs for not feeling the pressure. I'm just curious. It's, it's going to be, I think, on a dime whether or not that becomes a weapon for them to use in the postseason. Is like, you feel the pressure. We don't. We're champions. Or if it's just like they don't have something that's forcing them to, you know, add that extra 10% at the end of that shift. Like, you know, we saw it in, in game six. The third period was like, one of the most incredible displays of hockey I've ever seen because it was the entire team emptying the tank to zero. And right. it was just like, we are giving everything we have 
for 20 minutes to make sure we win this cup. It's an all-time underrated goaltending performance from Boshalevsky to keep that a 2-1 hockey game. 100%. And an all-time... They should have finished 5-1. Easy goaltending performance. Yeah, on abs, the net. <laughs> the, the, what the Avs did in the third period of that game, like, every conventional, like, you sit back, you play smart, you do it. And the Avs were like, no. We are going to attack you until we have nothing left, until we have to defend at the very end. And they... they 20 minute period and they spent 17 of those minutes just cramming the puck down Tampa Bay's throat. All time performance by Vasilevsky. All time easy third period with a lead to win the Stanley Cup performance for Darcy Kemper. Know, <laughs> he had man. to make two saves. And they were big ones. They I were mean, huge. He made them. You are, you are talking uh, Nikita Kucherov is what third in the NHL in scoring this year and he, he stops him on a one timer coming across the crease, like that was it right there. When they that made was that the win, when they made that stop, it was like, oh, that was their chance. Like, but when you envision whew. a third period to clinch the Stanley Cup, you envision just bombs at the goalkeeper. Yeah, you envision twenty minutes of what the Avs did in San Jose in yeah, Game Seven, yeah. where it was just shots were like nineteen to one at the end yeah. of that game, at the end of that period, because it was just a, it was an all out assault of desperation to try and tie the game. And then, you know, it just didn't work out for either one of those teams that were trying to come back. And, but the abs, what they did is they just, they put them down. I mean, they, you don't, you can't more thoroughly put down a defending champ than what they did. But and all this, all this is to say, do they have that level in them? Do they have like, you know, 110% is overused in sports. Sure. Like can't do without the pressure of, you know, we have to win this to solidify this, for, you know, this run that we've put together. Do they have the can, let's crank it up to 110% for one period because we have to win this hockey game for our legacies? Do, do they have that? Yeah. Why, oh, yeah. Do you, why do you think so? Um, because they haven't had it all season because they haven't really felt in the in the two moments this season that that team had to look take a good hard look in the mirror and say, what are we really made of? Are we are we for real about this thing or not? They've walked out the next day and ripped off winning streaks. So anytime that they this team has actually been down on the mat and had to actually get up <laughs> and do it, they have responded the way that a champion responds. And for me, I'm just like, look, I everybody that lives in Edmonton should be over the moon about what Connor McDavid has done this year. He's the best player in the world, and that's all good and well. But the second the postseason starts. If you're not backing Nathan McKinnon, you're not backing the right guy. Really? I love Nathan, it. I think Nathan McKinnon's about to do something absolutely epic. Whatever Jokic is about to do in the postseason, McKinnon's going to do the hockey version of. Really? I think oh. I, he's been... This, so this, is, this is the best that I, I've ever seen Nathan McKinnon play in his entire career. And he's it's we're going on like 40 games of it. So, and he's had some downs. You know, he has a couple yeah. of games here and there. But he, he responds with the kind of fury that is, is you you just can't it, it's a thing that you just have to have inside of you that that kind of hunger and it's it's this never ending well will to win and climb the mountain again and i think that just because the abs have faced the issues that they've had they get even a little bit healthy going into the postseason whoever gets them in round one is going to get turned inside out because yeah. I think that they are going to find a switch. They're going to find 
that level and they're going to have the kind of goaltending they didn't have last year. And they're going to need it because they're not as good as last year's team. But I think they're going to be just as hungry because they've spent all year having people tell them, you know, oh, you're not as good as this. You're not as good as that. You're not last year's team. You're not this and you're not that. And then at the end of the day, those guys can look in the mirror and say, you know what we are? We are champions and all these other guys are not. But perhaps they're also adrenaline junkies. What you're talking about, this idea that the stakes aren't very high in the regular season when you've been yeah. to a postseason yeah. and you're saying they've played their best when they're backed against the wall yeah well that's there's that's a gen- adrenaline junkie yeah nathan mckinnon said that the time they felt the most comfortable in the playoffs last year was when they were down one goal on the road <laughs> that's like when they felt they played their best hockey right they just like well, settled in and them. they're like watch this yeah if you watch them after they get down in the clinching game after stamco scores 90 seconds in the game six Tampa Bay goes all out for about five minutes. And when they don't get that second goal, the next 55 minutes of that is the avalanche just laying waste to them. So there's the um, pressure that I think decreases once you've won a title, but the confidence that I think increases once you've won a title. Do you feel they're a more confident team? Yeah, I do because now there's none of the nagging self-doubt. There's no, you know, Nathan Mm -hmm. McKinnon's not going to be like, Am I a one-hit wonder? He's going to be like, <laughs> Sid has three. Right. And that's all he's going to care about. <laughs> I, this is my thing with Yoke. If they get a title, he's going to shoot four times as many Sambor shuffles. Mm. That's a shot you kind of have to be like, yeah, I, I don't give an F. I'm shooting this one. And I just think he'll have a little bit more. The pass, the over-the-head stuff, I just think the, we'll get about 30 more of those a year. Because it's just like... What do I get? I, mean, I want to see final form Jokic so badly. Well, when you talk, you know, we've talked about iron sharpens iron and, and the way that you go through things. I think that I think that what built the abs into this into this emotional, you know, just like this powder keg that's waiting to just erase teams in the postseason is that they they lost and they they remember how much it sucked to lose. Right. And I think this year has kind of been a good reminder to them how hard this is. Right. And they keep it in. It's been in the back of their mind all year. They've had to fight for every single inch of it. That I think that when they get into the postseason, it's going to be a breath of fresh air where they're like, this is a fresh start. We're not chasing anything. We're chasing our own history. And I think that when they take an honest look at it, they say, we're better than all of these teams. And if they get Gabe Landeskog back and I'm, I think they're going to at some Let's point. Go. But I think if they get Gabe Landeskog back, they're going to find a different level. Like Gabe Landeskog is going to go out and he's going to fight somebody 16 seconds <laughs> in his first shift. He's going to eat that guy's heart on the ice and it's going to be game on for the rest of the NHL. Wow. I'm hyped, baby. Let's go. No, I just sat next to McChesney for an hour. I know. Like, cooking <laughs> over here. I'm like, geez. I, I need when to go the, when do playoffs start for the Avs? Uh, the last regular season game is two weeks from today, and then it will start three days after that. Okay. So, okay. So Basically, right, April 17th. Okay. Right in that area. There we go. We're coming up on it, man. What's the most likely matchup right now? I couldn't. <laughs> it's too impossible. It's, yeah. Too close. Too impossible. Yeah. The six teams are all still vying for positioning. So, all right. RK. Tell me a little bit about Breckenridge Brewery. The best. I mean, straight up the best beers that you can get. Uh, We absolutely love them here. We have for years. And one of the best things about Breckenridge Brewery is they have supported us for so long. Um, You know, we've kind of become synonymous, and I think it's a really cool thing. Um, Got the Avalanche Ales in front of us here. Got the Mile High City Golden Ale. 
Uh, there's so many great beers from Breckenridge Brewery. What's the holiday one that's like 12%? No, not holiday. What's the other one? That's like a porter, but it's like 12% because I had one one the day. Buddy Pass? Buddy, buddy Pass. Buddy, buddy Pass, it's different. You know how many Buddy Passes you need to be wasted? Like three? Yes. I had one before doing a show, and I was like, am I drunk right now? I know. I called it the Buddy Pass because you're drinking for two. Yeah, it is. Exactly. You and a buddy. <laughs> it's perfect. Uh, so check <laughs> out our friends <laughs> over at Breckenridge Brewery. Uh, use the Breck Brew Locator. No matter where you are in America, you can go to breckenridgebrewery.com slash beer locator to find out where the nearest Breck Brews are to you. What do you Internationally want to beloved Breck Brew. Yes. Every time I go up to Canada, I take beer with me. That's really? awesome. And just distribute it to people. That's hilarious. When we went to London, people were like, can you please bring cases of Breck Brew? Yes, yeah. I love my, that uh, stuff, My man. brother-in-law was like, you just bring me a keg of this stuff. I'll pay for <laughs> customs. Bring me a keg of it. And I was like, I'm not doing that, but... That's I, an inefficient way to get that beer up there. To I transport did bring a, a keg on a commercial <laughs> airline. A no, big... I drive, man. Oh, that's right. You drive. Um, what are you telling me about Circle K? You ever done this one? No. Nope. All right, guys. We're excited <laughs> to be partnering with our friends at Circle K. It's because they're new. That's why I was like, I pulled it up because I was like, I don't know. <laughs> Definitely about this not one. on Broncos, uh, Bets, or Buffs. Here's, what, you know, here's the thing about Circle K I make coffee in the morning, it's never good. So instead, Ooh. now I go down to the to Circle K because gas station you coffee. Make, you make bad coffee every day. Well, I'm saying I actually stopped, but this is why I always brew it. I'm always okay. like, it's terrible. But you go, it's like 99 cents. You get the little cop coffee. Then I come back home, just Boom. just for that, just for that Boom. one reason. They got all that great stuff. And then, you know what else they have? They have like an enormous selection of different snacks and everything. It's best road trip snack. What are you um, going for? Best road trip snack for me is uh, beef jerky. Beef jerky. Yep. I'm a Gardettos on a road trip guy. What are Gardettos? It's like, you know, the things oh, that have the little rye chips in there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you, know, yeah. you know that they make a special where it's just the rye chips stuff. I know. I've crushed a couple yeah. bags. Okay. That's how I am, too. I like the Chex Mix, though. Car the Chex Mix ones. But I'll have to check out Gardettos. Great coffee. Um, lots of locations all over Denver, and we appreciate them becoming a sponsor for us. So if you guys are looking to get a little uh, energy drink, a little coffee, a little snack, or something like that, check out Circle K. All right. Guys, the uh, last segment here of the Denver Sports Podcast, I want to talk about the players and the, the moments where they faced the most pressure. In Denver sports history, maybe they won, maybe they lost, but where areas where you could say, man, was that a pressured-filled game for that guy? I don't think anything can top the Broncos and John Elway specifically heading into the 1997 season. Like They were so good in 96, or I guess... It would be the 96-97 season. They were so good in 95-96, they get upset by the Jags in kind of embarrassing fashion. Not kind of. <laughs> yeah. In not embarrassing kind fashion. Of. You guys, people have to understand this that are not, um, you know, like my, my age or whatever that went through this. Like, Elway was my, I'm just, well, what I'm saying is, Elway was my first athlete by a, by a long shot. The second athlete was so far below. It was Elway. And he just lost. Like, yeah. Played great, had big moments, but always lost. And so there was this feeling of inevitability. And 96, honestly, was the year I most believed they were going to win. And they lost the first game. And it just felt to me like they're never going to win. Yep. They're just never going to. They and had a very Chargers-esque feel about them. Yeah, what oh. Would, what would become a Chargers-esque right, feel? Right, right. Um, because, like, Michael Deaton Perry getting called for too many men on the field because he's got one foot still on the field as he's walking off. You know, just so cursed. So they could punt and yeah. they could, you know, give them the first down and then turns into points and oh my god, dude. It was my, my Michael Dean Perry has haunted <laughs> haunted my nightmares my entire life because of that game. 
Yeah. And, and it was the, by the way, the Jaguars. Yeah. I know. Natron means. You know Peter what I mean? McCardle. Like, it wasn't even like you got beat, bested by uh, Joe Montana or something. Like, what can you do? You know, it was the Jags. Jaguars. Yeah. yeah. Mark and then their lefty quarterback. Um, so, yeah, I mean, going into that next season, mm -hmm. the Broncos probably had the most pressure anyone's had on them in Denver sports history, in my opinion. You think so? You don't think that when the Avs were down 3-2 in 2001 with Ray Bork knowing he was retiring at the end of that year, going into New Jersey to the defending champ's house and winning game six the way that they did? They probably it's down 3-2 in that series, and Patrick Wall wins them game six the way that he does. What I will say... He's one of the all-time great Stanley Cup final games. What I will say about that, and I think it's a good argument, and this is a feather in the cap of the Avs, the Avs actually increased the pressure on the Broncos going into 96, 97. <laughs> it's take. I love it. They yeah. walked in and won the championship. Yeah. The, yep. the, the Broncos were every, everyone was living yeah. and dying with the Broncos and dying and dying and dying. And yeah. then the Avs walk dying. in, win a championship. They're the new big man on campus. And like, I legitimately think that put an extra thorn in Elway's side to be like, Hell no, this is my town. He's been at this for 15 I years. I to get this done. I'm winning a championship this season. Yeah. And then Terrell Davis did it for him. Man, I can't believe this. <laughs> AJ being a hater over here. Oh, it was awesome. Not really. No, he was. I mean, you're right that, of course, that he was. Was that his MVP year? Was it that season or the next one? It was the next year. The, the next, next year was, yeah. was his MVP season. But he was unbelievable, of course. But yeah. Elway was also unbelievable. Yeah, but you also look at the big difference was that Elway had help. Right, and right. For he, the first he, time. So true. It's so and, true. And maybe for the first time, he needed it. Like, he like needed it. He could have used it all those other years. Would it have made a difference when you were going up against Jerry Rice and Joe Montana, all right, those guys? Right. I don't know. Right. Maybe maybe against <laughs> maybe against Phil Sims. I love Steve but, Atwater tells a story about when they played. It was his rookie season. They played against the Niners in the Super Bowl. And he was like, man, we were watching film all week. I felt so confident. First play, deep post, Montana to Rice, cooked. And I was just like, <laughs> shit. <laughs> we are not ready. <laughs> <laughs> We're not ready for this. Um, let's go then to 2001. So the, the difference for that one for me a little bit is just that Elway was so ingrained. And, and they didn't have a championship yet. And they didn't yeah. have a championship and they're so ingrained. You're right that for Bork, that was the swan song. And so maybe there was pressure on him because I imagine you feel like, man, is this my last game of my career and it's going to be a goddamn loss at the doorstep? So I imagine he felt it, and I do think there was individual stakes within the moment of 3-2, but was there more broader than that? I think that a really underrated amount of pressure was on Joe Sackick that year because um, this, is a Bad year before. this is a famous story um, about Avs history. But in 2000, when they lost for the second straight year in Game 7 in Dallas, um, Joe Sackick had the worst postseason of his career. Um, and just he just wasn't very good, right? And we think of Joe Sakic as a demigod, right? Because right. he yeah. was he was and clutch. He was just unbelievable. Yeah, he has the NHL record for playoff overtime goals. So, yes, like <laughs> he does also have that. And then you you look go back and you look at him in that 2000 year. You look at the numbers. You remember how he played during that run. He just wasn't very good. And on the team plane on the flight back to Denver after their season had ended, uh, Wah. Patrick Waugh, Adam Foote, and Ray Bork walked with the back of the plane, talked to Sackick, and say, you know, Ray will come back for one more year, but you need to lead us. Where were you? You need to be better. You need to be 
everything that you need to be as Joe Sackick needs to come back next year. Ray is coming back. You need to figure this out. And if you go and you look, that Avs team, wire to wire, Just won a, a president's wagon. trophy. They yeah. were obsessed with home ice because they'd lost consecutive game sevens on the road. Right. They won in home ice. They needed it. They got it. And Joe Sackick, if you go and rewatch the, uh, the, the cup final, Peter Forsberg gets hurt. He's not in that series. Joe Sackick is unbelievable in that cup final. He dominates, dominates a devil's defense that has Scott Stevens and Scott Niedermeyer on it. Two guys who are in the Hall of Fame. It was, it, it was a clash of all the Titans at all the positions, and Joe Sackick had the best series, arguably, among all those guys, um, except for maybe Patrick Waugh. What a unique brand of pressure. Yeah. Pressure applied to you by your own teammates. Yeah. It's kind the of PS, unheard of. Two of those three guys you could make arguments for being the best at their position right. ever yeah. in Ray Bork and Patrick Waugh. And then, you know, Adam Foote, his number is in the rafters at Ball Arena. Yeah. I, for the Nuggets, I don't know if there's other ones. I mean, you could look at the, the Mellow era was so weird because they lost every year in blowout fashion. Yep. They they made it to game five twice. Otherwise, they just kept getting swept and just kept 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 losing. And so by the time 2009 came along, I think some people would say was there pressure there, but I don't know if there necessarily was more pressure. They were just a better team. And then, of course, they went into to six games in the Western Conference Finals. But I don't think there was more pressure on anybody in that year. It didn't feel like the end of an era. It turned out to be because the next year George Carl got mm. cancer and the year after that, Mellow's traded, so it actually was the last year, but it didn't feel like it at the time. Happy ending to that story. What's that? Yeah. So that was a real happy yeah, ending yeah. to that well, that's story. The, that's the Nuggets history, unfortunately. I it's, will say... I would say there's probably pressure on George Carl, specifically. Kind of. Yes and no, though. Like, George Carl had kept... He became known as a guy that couldn't get out of the first round. Like He's just a regular season coach. They did have that run. So I don't, but I don't, I don't remember there ever being a year where it's like he has to do it this year. The way with Jokic, where it just kind of feels like things swing now. Will Jokic have more chances to redeem himself? Yes, but things will swing so hard for him. And I'll go back. The guy that I think, or the example of a player that I think had a lot of pressure, I don't know if Jokic was feeling this in the bubble or not, but game four of the bubble first round when the Nuggets were down two games to one and Rudy Gobert had absolutely dominated Jokic yeah. in game three, blocked his shot, screamed in his... Like, it was so embarrassing. That game four, and then obviously throughout the rest of this, to me, carried an enormous amount of pressure because if Denver loses that series in five games, this team looks completely different. Yeah, There's not... The, there's probably a different coach. There's different co-stars, everything... And the way that both he and Murray stepped up the rest of that series was really impressive. Even though they lost game four, they both settled themselves and then went on to come back. But I just remember thinking in that game, I was like, Yoke loses this one, man. There's no MVPs. We didn't know he was coming anyway, but there would have been no MVPs. And at the uphill climb he would have had to up make up for that one series would have been so big. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen you vote Eric Harrison more down bad than you were after that game four. I, I, honestly, it's the, it's the low. It's <laughs> easily the low. I was like, Jesus, I got to get out of here. The <laughs> stakes this year are higher, so they could swing both higher yeah. and lower than that. But that was like the ultimate, I can't believe I believed in a guy and they're going to lose to the goddamn Jazz <laughs> in five games. I just, it was so unfathomable that that almost, but did not happen. Um, any it, other abs ones? What's crazy oh. is right, right at that low, 
pretty much gave the best upswing that sports in, in, in Nuggets history. That's that sports. You can't have the positive charge without the negative charge. Yeah. So however happy you will be should your team win is equally proportionate to how painful it will be if your team loses. That's how I feel with Denver. Like the swing between this could be the greatest year of my life as a sports fan <laughs> versus this could be the worst year of my life as a sports fan. They're just proportionate, man. It, I love that about sports. I do too. And it's why I try to make myself as emotionally vulnerable as yes, possible when it exactly comes to sports it. because I'm like, I want the highs to be high and the lows to be low. Like that's what makes me feel alive. Is there any other abs ones we can think of? I mean, last, last year's. like last year's team, you're coming off of losing in the yeah. second round for the third straight year, but you were the president's trophy winner. Um, you know, you have this generation. You've got Landis Cog, you've got Ranton and McKinnon and McCarr. Can you do something with it? You've got a head coach. Is he can he validate that he's got a history of winning at all the Ken, other Kendall. levels? But yeah, exactly. Can I mean there's an alternate universe where he is the Kendall. Yeah. Didn't happen. It's not yeah. this universe. There's also an alternate universe where Kizla knows what he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll just go there. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, sorry. You don't ever get to come back from that. That's true. You say it. You just have to own that you yeah, were wrong. You get, to, you get to wear that for the rest of your career, that yeah. you were that guy. Right. Is there a Broncos one you can think of? Another Broncos one? Either <clears throat> yeah, one. Yeah. I mean, plumber. Well, I mean, yes. But I would go to the entire Peyton Manning era. Yeah. Um, oh, he's, oh my God, yes. Especially 2015, yeah. which you could really feel was the end of the road for Peyton. And it was like, wow, we were gifted one of the best gifts in sports history. Peyton Manning showed up on our doorstep and we're going to fumble the bag. Right. And, and I felt that so deeply. And it's why that's the most joyless championship in Denver sports history. Oh, it's because so the true, mortality dude. of the era was so present you felt it slipping through our fingers oh my god we're gonna fumble the bag with peyton manning and this is the most joyless championship <laughs> as, yes. as as it could have possibly because been everything that went wrong yep. it felt like oh this is the end this yep, is the end right. oh they're they can't score they're done they need you know Honestly, every time they win it's because they got lucky of, off a of bounce with the turnover even and when he got left, though, and was it Osweiler that took over? Even when he yeah. came back, that game alone carried a little bit of pressure because it was like yes. they were winning with Osweiler, right? Like they had kind of gotten yeah. a rhythm. You're right. They're five and two. Um, <laughs> and pay, but great credit to Kerry Kubiak, who did an incredible coaching job with that team, managing Peyton, managing Brock, managing the team. Mm -hmm. He knew it. He just felt it. He was like, this is the moment. Peyton's ready. He's got to go back out there and. It's one of the best clips that maybe is underrated. It's just Peyton comes into the huddle and the whole entire offensive line just starts going, Peyton fucking Manning. <laughs> and they're kind of like echoing each other one after another. And he's just like, let's go get this shit. They go, they win. They get the one seed, which is crazy for, again, a joyless season. <laughs> they got the one seed. Thanks, New England. Uh, yeah. They, they Talk about fumbling a bag. Fumbled the bag big time. <laughs> uh, and, you know, they go and win it. But the pressure, I think, was really heavy. And, you want to talk about like media pressure? Maybe in terms of Denver sports, that's the most media pressure there's ever been. Oh, easily, man. Because easily. it was it was relentless. Even when they were winning, no one yeah. was giving them credit for it. Right. It wasn't it wasn't fun. Every game was close. It was not it was like the exact opposite of 
what was it, the 2013 season where they came out and they scored. Oh, it was nothing but seven, joy. Seven touchdowns and they have the, the shootout in Dallas. It was the most fun season of football yeah. in my entire oh, life. And then for it to end the way that it did with that like ultra beat up team that had a, like just an incredible string of injuries and was using street free agents in the freaking Super Bowl. Yep. And obviously like the Super Bowl went the way that it did and Seattle Terribly. earned that and whatever, you know, and but People it was also that. Like, that was such an incredibly fun year. To yeah, just, it was. Watch Broncos. My football. favorite football was, year. People forget that Derek Wolf, Von Miller, and Chris Harris Jr. all did not play in that game. Yeah, those are three guys and who like, you would say are a massive part of winning the Super Bowl well, two years later. And a broken down champ. Yep, and, yeah, is, is in that game where you're like, that's our last like memory. Right. Yep. Like it. It was just. It was the perfect. It was the perfect setup for exactly what what, what went down. We try. We've talked about this offline. We didn't really think of any Rockies ones that meet this. I mean, the Rockies haven't met that pressure a lot. No. They haven't been in the. They haven't been in the postseason enough, and their World Series run. There was never a fulcrum moment. The, the closest that they, I think, that they ever got was Game One Sixty Three, where it was like, "Can we get Todd to the postseason yeah. once? Right? Can we please just let this guy? Can we not have this conversation of who's the best player to never play in a playoff game? Right. Like." It was like it was like it, it was it was a lot. It was uh, there was a lot happening. That was a really good team, but there was big like do it for Todd energy. Yeah. And then you know obviously everything else that happened. Like the iconic moment of that that run is there's a bobblehead around here somewhere of it. Of him of this. yeah after cel- of celebrating catching the last out in the sweep of the Diamondbacks. Yep. To go to the World Series. They never faced any pressure because right. it was just a free ride. It was Rocktober. And everyone was like, wow, this is incredible. Yeah. Like, This is the most fun baseball has ever been. I will say a little bit of pressure, but all of these stories we've talked about essentially have been about overcoming pressure. The Rockies, not that long ago, played a one-off game for the, the NL West championship, something they've never gotten before. Yeah. Would have been really uh, cool. Would have been really cool if they got it. Uh, but I still don't even feel like there was that much pressure on them, and I think it's because they really, yeah, I think it's because they've just never. No one's ever expected anything of the Rockies, exactly, and so they can't really have pressure. Do you think there's a correlation? They will get out on this pressure. There are cities where the pressure is immense. New York, Philadelphia. You know, you know, there are places where people, the Cowboys. The fan base and the media contingent puts pressure on. You mentioned it's the Nuggets. Nobody really cares. Yeah. Um, you met Rockies. Nobody's really putting pressure. Do you think that feeds into it at all? That there's not loud enough voices putting pressure on the org? So I think that with the Rockies, the answer is yes. Um, and I just I think it's because they are the fourth team in town. Now, they... This is a great baseball town if they give them something to, to root for. Yeah. You know, like the sports in this town are essentially come from baseball. But it's I, I, I don't think that anything is expected of them. And, and the, usually when the pressure is on, it's really light. I think the Nuggets are a little different. I think that they've they've become actually, in my opinion, the team of like the the, the newest version of Denver. Like people oh. care about the Nuggets a lot, I think now. Uh, and so I think they're facing pressure because they have greatness on their team. Um, but the, the abs and Broncos unquestionably have faced more pressure with the Broncos obviously being the one that faces the most. But I think because they set expectations to a certain point after that, everyone expects that of you forever. And I think that has forced them to make moves and be aggressive and trying to continue to be great. Well, and I also think that, you know, when you have 
certain talent level of players on your team yep. come certain expectations of results, which is where the Nuggets are for the first time ever. You're looking at they have a they have a bona fide, true blue, legitimate MVP, top five dude in the NBA. And there's no sport where individual players swing the balance between winning and losing more than in basketball. basketball. And so when you have that, and when you, especially when he's a unicorn the way that he is, it creates its own unique kind of pressure that Nuggets, I do think the Nuggets as a franchise are feeling for the first time ever. The one thing I'll say about that, and this will be my, the last point for the show here, but basketball, and it's all sports in general, actually even football, but basketball to me, the players seem the most disconnected from their fan base and from their city. Mm. And I just wonder how much, like back in the day, I talked to Alice English, he's been on the show, Fat Lever. They talk about Denver as if it was like, that was us and Denver. Like we were doing that together. I was playing, oh. they were cheering, there we were. And players today, I think are so disconnected that they there don't we feel were. that way. So it this sucks. idea of the city, it does suck. But this idea of the city putting pressure, they commute to work, man. They, com they commute to work, work for six months, and then they commute home. And I just think that's a weird interaction that all sports, even football has this, I think, more than what it used to be. The Broncos used to be the center of Denver. Yeah. Now they're a big part of it still, but I just think players are a little different. I feel like Jokic specifically cares about the Nuggets in Denver. God, I hope so. I think he does. Well, and what made the abs thing special is that you have a couple of guys, you know, and Eric Johnson. Yeah. He's from Minnesota, which is the worst place in the world. Yeah, And, you know, he's from there. He gets traded here. And he makes it his home. Like right. he loves Denver. He loves being an Av. And you feel that when you support a team. You can tell who's being real about their genuine love of being part of that organization. There's there's no lying about that. And I think that was part of what made last year special for us is that there were people, you know, when the Avs were down bad, Gabe Landiscog goes to Joe Sack and says, Please don't trade me. Right. I know that you could get whatever you want in return to try and build for the future, but I want to fix it. I want to fix it here. I want to be the next captain of the Stanley Cup champion avalanche. And he was. Guys, that does it for this week's edition of the Denver Sports Podcast. Great stuff today, guys. Good job. Was this was yeah. a fun one. It was a fun topic. Lots of good stuff. Coming up, the Susie Show for the number one best, best team in best all team of in baseball. baseball, Colorado Rockies, undefeated. Coming up right next. Hit the Health Group is looking for customer service representatives to make a difference from the comfort of home, all supported by industry-leading benefits. Make a difference daily while building your future. Visit careers.uhg.com or click the banner to apply.